Well, it is so great to be here all with with you all this morning as we begin to celebrate the Christmas season. I know um, our teaching this morning is titled The Christmas Promise. Let me see if I can get my slides up here. There we go. Oops, let's go back a little bit. Okay, the promise of Christmas. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. So ignore the slides that you just saw. (laughs) We're gonna talk about the promise of Christmas. And you know, sometimes we can think there's a lot of drama surrounding Christmas. Uh, I learned just last week that there was some real drama surrounding Christmas in 1659. In the Massachusetts Bay Colony, they actually decided to make Christmas illegal. They said it was illegal to celebrate Christmas. They said it was as rowdy as something that we would see to be like spring break, where people were just partying and rejoicing and they didn't like that. They called it not Christmas, but they called it fool's tide. So there was actually a law that went into effect, and this is on the records, where if you were caught celebrating Christmas, you would be fined five shillings. Uh, you would be in trouble for celebrating Christmas, and it took about 20 years before that law was finally repealed on the books where they said, you know, we'll take away that law against celebrating Christmas. But it's been a long time that Christmas has been dramatic or even controversial, all sorts of controversy celebrating Christmas, around celebrating Christmas so much that... uh, I thought maybe we should call it the promise of controversy rather than the promise of Christmas. And I know that you're aware of some of these controversies. Uh, The first one is Christmas greetings. There's controversies about Christmas greetings. Do we say Merry Christmas or do we say Happy Holidays? Some people think, well, we should say Happy Holidays to include those of all faiths. And others say, no, this is specifically Christmas time and we should keep it as Merry Christmas and people will land on different sides of that controversy or different sides of that argument. Some people will write Merry Xmas and other people become enraged when they see Merry Xmas. They feel like it's trying to X Christ out of Christmas. But some will argue argue that the Greek key, the letter X, actually is C-H and represents Christ here. So where do you land on that side of the controversy? There's controversy about the Christmas season. The Christmas season, when does it begin? Does it begin (laughs) in December? (laughs) Does it begin after Thanksgiving? or before Thanksgiving? Does it begin in November? Or does it begin in July, right? (laughs) I mean, there's all sorts of controversy about this. When can we play Christmas music? People will war and battle over these things. They'll get on different sides of the divide. They call it the Christmas creep. It's just creeping in on us. It's always Christmas. Well, what about Christmas materialism? Uh, There are battles that go on about how materialistic we've made Christmas. I mean, we even remember poor uh, Linus and Charlie Brown talking about the little tree. Charlie thought it was an amazing tree and everyone mocked him, right? And you know, he wanted to get that 
consumerism, that commercialism out of Christmas. And people have gone to great lengths to make these statements against Christmas commercialism or Christmas, Christmas materialism. So much so that I just discovered that in one city or one county in Virginia, they erected a skeleton Santa crucified in 2011 on the lawn of their county courthouse because somebody felt that they wanted to make a misstatement about how materialistic Christmas had become. And some people thought, well, I don't want my children seeing that. <laughs> Maybe this guy got laid off this year or something, but you know, a crucified skeleton Santa in front of the county courthouse. And there was all sorts of public argument that went on about whether they should keep that or not. The nativity. The nativity is now a source of controversy. Should we keep the Christmas nativity and should a nativity be allowed on public grounds? Uh, if it's public grounds, it's paid for by tax dollars. If it's paid for by tax dollars, then that belongs to all people, not just people of the Christian faith. Uh, should we be allowed to put nativities on public grounds? And there's all sorts of controversy about that, all sorts of arguments and debates and discussions about that very thing. Christmas trees. Pete, there's controversy about Christmas trees. Should I buy an artificial tree or a real tree? Uh, you know, should I not go out there and chop down a tree every year and just buy my tree at Costco and put that same thing up every year and save money? Or do I love the smell of the greenery and the pine needles? And do I want to keep a real tree in my home? And the little Jeremiah 10, two through four is a reference where some people would say, you shouldn't even have a Christmas tree at all. And they take this reference out of context, but you know, there's arguments, there's controversy, artificial, real, or a tree at all. What about Christmas cups? You're probably familiar with this one, right? <laughs> Christmas cups, the old Starbucks cups, right? Starbucks had these wonderful holiday cups from 1997 all the way until 2015 when they came out with this red cup. And everyone was disappointed. People were weeping, saying that they had taken Christmas out of the cup. Um, Starbucks, they responded by saying, well, we just wanted people to be able to doodle whatever they wanted on their cup this year. But some people were enraged and there was all sorts of controversy. And you know, there was actually another controversy with Starbucks that year and Christmas. And that was concerning this little polar bear cookie. Uh, Starbucks said this is a polar bear with a cute little Christmas scarf, but some uh, pro-animal group said, no, that's a polar bear with a slit neck. <laughs> you can see the blood dripping down. <laughs> they said, I'm serious. <laughs> you gotta Google it if you don't believe me. You can see the blood dripping down his neck. They hate polar bears, you know. <laughs> this is terrible. What side will we land on in this argument? And then there's Christmas shows, the favorite holiday shows, the traditional Christmas shows. You know, Rudolph, for example, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This has been seen now as a show that promotes bullying because Santa and all the other reindeers were so mean to Rudolph. 
they called him names, right? And they wouldn't let him join in any reindeer games. <laughs> I mean, that's not nice, right? Poor Rudolph, or was it really a statement that in a way we're all misfits, right? And we just need to get over it. I, you know, it's controversial. Little Rudolph now, what side will you land on? Will you watch him or no? Christmas sweaters. Okay, honestly, are they ugly or not? <laughs> some people will wear these things and some people won't, right? Unless they're invited to an ugly Christmas sweater party. Well, all these uh, controversies are all over the place. Christmas has always been somewhat controversial. But in the end, will any of these things matter in 100 years from now? Uh, the polar bear cookie, the Christmas cup, the sweater, little Rudolph, you know, the nativity scene, whatever it is. In 100 years from now, will it really make a difference? And you might be thinking, why would you ask me that? Because in 100 years from now, I'm not even going to be here. Exactly. That's the point. It's not going to make a difference in 100 years from now. But you know what? There is one controversy that will make a difference, that'll make a difference which side we land on even 100 years from now. We find it in Luke 2, 25 through 33, which is the passage that we're going to unfold this morning. We see a passage of promise and we also see controversy in that promise. And which side we land on in this controversy will matter, not only in 100 years, or 1,000 years, or 10,000 years, but it will matter for eternity. So let's read this passage together. It's Luke 2, 22 through 35 beginning with Luke 2, 22 through 24. If you have a Bible app on your phone and you feel like pulling that up and reading along, feel free. If not, all the verses will be up on the slide so you can read along with me, whatever works for you. Luke 2, 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So referring to Mary and Joseph here, uh, they went to the temple to do what the law prescribed for them to do, to do what the law asked them to do. They went from Bethlehem, where they were, to Jerusalem, which was about six miles, uh, to fulfill the law of purification. That was a law for a woman who had just given birth to a child. Forty days later, she would go and you know, fulfill a ceremony, fulfill uh, a requirement for purification. Uh, also, there was a sacrifice that was necessary for a firstborn son, and they went and did that. And they also dedicated Jesus to the Lord. Uh, something that wasn't required, but they did anyways, showing that they were devoutly following the law of God. They went above and beyond the requirements. They did what they were supposed to do because they were people who loved God and they wanted to obey his commands. So they traveled again about six miles from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. Here's a picture of the Temple Mount today. 
Uh, they went to this temple that was actually built by Herod, uh, Herod's temple, and we can't actually see the temple mount that they were up on at the time because the Dome of the Rock Mosque is there, but there was the wall. That's what it would have been like as they're approaching this temple and it's crowded with people. There are people everywhere uh, doing their things, you know, uh, fulfilling the laws of the Lord and worshiping the Lord and doing the things that they did at the temple there. And when they walked up, uh, they would have walked up the steps of the temple. Here's a model from my Bible software of Herod's temple, the same temple that they would have been at and around the outer areas, what they call the court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go. And then when you go inside the temple, there's the court of women there. So that's probably where they were because Mary was a woman. And that big tall structure, the holy place, the most holy place, that was a place that they were forbidden to go. So they were in probably the court of the women. And the text goes on. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, we're gonna see that Simeon took the child. Simeon, we don't know who he is. Uh, he wasn't some key biblical figure. We don't really know his age. We know that he was an older man from the statements that he made. We don't know his occupation. We don't know what kind of work he did. But we do know the text says that he was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel. He was waiting for the promised Messiah or the Christ who would come to save Israel. And that's the first promise from God that we really see here is that Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so as he was standing there, probably in the court of women, and saw Mary and Joseph walk by, the Spirit revealed to him, that baby over there, that's the one. That's the one that you've been waiting for. And so he walked up to Mary and Joseph. They didn't know him at all. Mary didn't know him. Can you imagine having somebody walk up to you and wanting to hold or, or see or embrace your baby? You don't know who he is. But this man, probably an older man, came up to them because the Holy Spirit revealed to him that the baby that they were carrying, that was the one that he had been waiting for. And it says that he says he took him up in his arms. So he took the baby Jesus. Mary let him hold her, hold him. And he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. 
Can you imagine that? They walk into the temple to do what God's calling them to do, and this man approaches them. And he probably said to Joseph, can I hold your child? And Mary was probably a little nervous about that and looked at Joseph, and Joseph said, sure. So he held Jesus there, and he pronounced these words over him. This is called the nunc dimittis, these words. You might have heard of that before. Uh, these verses are, are chanted or sung. They've been sung in churches from the fourth century. This beautiful statement of now that I have seen your salvation, my job is done. This light, this light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel. He said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This promise that was made to him, Simeon, it's like that watchtower there, like he was a watchman up in a watchtower who was constantly watching and waiting for this Messiah because the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so he waited and he waited and now was the time. And he said, God, this is it. I can depart in peace now. I'm your servant. You're my master. My job is done. I've seen your Messiah. He took the baby. My eyes have seen your salvation. He looked at this infant and said, this is your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples all peoples, not just the Jewish people. A promise from God for salvation to all people, to be saved, to be saved. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He was saying it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. This isn't only for the, gen for the Jewish people. It's for the Gentiles, the rest of the world as well. And it doesn't matter what your economic status is. This is God's Messiah, God's Christ. This baby is the one who will bring salvation, the promise of salvation to all people. Nothing was ever seen of or heard of like that before. And then the verses of the Nunc Dimittis, the part that's chanted or sung traditionally, it ends. And in verse 33, Luke 2, 33, it says, and his father and his mother marveled. That's what was said about him. Like, can you imagine? I, I, that would be something to marvel over. If someone takes your baby and says, this baby is the one who will bring salvation to the world, not only to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. They, they were learning about who Jesus was. They knew there was something very unique about him, but they probably didn't realize that he was gonna bring salvation to the entire world. They probably wondered, how does this man even know? Who is this man, this baby, the one that we're holding, this child that we're carrying? Mary thinking, the one that I'm nursing, the baby whose diaper I change. This is the baby that will bring salvation to the entire world. 
Well, the nunc dimittis ends, but you know what? Simeon was not done. He had more to say. He wasn't done with his prophecy. And what's so neat is he speaks directly to Mary. He speaks right to Mary. And he says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, looking at Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. So he looked right at the mother of Jesus, at Mary, and said, your child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. That sign that is opposed, opposed there, the Greek word is ante lego, ante legomenon. Uh, it means to be spoken against. This child has been appointed to be someone who will be a subject of controversy. Your child will be spoken against. He's appointed for the fall and the rise of many, and he is appointed to be spoken against. Jesus said this. Uh, Jesus himself later in his ministry in Matthew 10, 34, he said, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. You might think, well, was it a religion of violence? No, Jesus was not a violent man and did not promote violence. But what he was saying was that genuine allegiance to him, genuine allegiance to him would bring conflict between people and even within people themselves. Genuine allegiance to him results in even conflict within ourselves. Uh, Jesus makes people mad. He just makes people mad. And you might think, why? Why would Jesus make people so mad? The reason why is because of the message that he brings. He brings a message that tells us that God is our creator that there is a God out there who has made everything. I know the world will tell us that everything came from nothing. At a moment in time, the entire universe was compressed down smaller than a pinhead and it blew up and everything that we have resulted from that over long, long, long periods of time. Now, even if that were true, where did all that matter come from? Nobody knows. And if that were true, if we just exploded from matter that existed billions and billions of years ago, then we would have to admit this life doesn't matter. There's no purpose in this life. There's no meaning for this life. But we came from nothing. We'll die and we'll go to nothing. What's the big deal? All this stuff about meaning and purpose and wanting to make a difference, why? You came from nothing and you're going to nothing. And right and wrong, when we say things are evil or good, or we say that shouldn't be done that way, or that's just not right, or I don't feel right about that, why? Is that something that you just learned? Is that something that your culture has placed upon you? so that you can function better as a society? Or is there a God? 
Is there a God who made you and who has created you in his image and has put a conscience within you so that you know there's right and wrong? You know there's meaning for this life. You know there's purpose. If there was no God, there would be no meaning, no purpose, no right and wrong, and no explanation for how all that matter got there. But Jesus says there is a God, and he did make you, he did create you in his image, and he does have expectations for your behavior. In fact, if he created you, he owns you. He's your authority. And that's where it gets, begins to get to the point that people don't like it, right? Someone's my authority? Someone has authority over me? I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't resonate right with me. I just don't like that. My, my nature balks at that, that someone would have authority over me or be able to say what I can and can't do. The Bible teaches us, Jesus taught us, the message of Christ is that God is absolutely holy. He's absolutely flawless. He's morally perfect. There's nothing wrong with him at all. He's perfect. He can't even tolerate anything less than perfection because he is perfect. He's never sinned. He's never done anything wrong, nor can he do anything wrong. He doesn't even have the ability to do anything wrong. And that's his nature, being God. And that's the message that the baby Jesus brought. That's the message of Christ. God is morally perfect. He's made us and he's morally perfect. But you know, it starts to get a little more uncomfortable when we consider that he says, you know, not only is God morally perfect, but to be in a relationship with God, he expects us to be morally perfect. He expects us to be flawless. He expects us to be without sin, without disobedience, without error. And you might think, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? be perfect because I'm perfect. That's, that's absurd. But God's saying, I, I can't tolerate anything less than perfection. That's my nature. I'm morally perfect. I've created you. And that's what I demand. That's what I expect. That's what I need. That's impossible. I mean, if that's true, if that's true, if you have to be perfect, if you have to be flawless, if you have to be sinless to be in a relationship with God, then nobody's in a relationship with God. No one could ever make themselves perfect. No one could ever make themselves holy, absolutely holy and flawless. And that's true. That's true. That's why the Bible says every single one of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, that word sin can sound so overbearing and complicated. It just means that we do things our way. When we rebel against God, when we do things our way instead of his way, we've sinned. And when we break his law, we incur a debt. Just like when you break the law in our country. 
When you break the law, there's a penalty to be paid. And when you break God's law, you owe a debt. You're separated from him. The wages, the paycheck, what you've earned for breaking that law is death. You're separated from him. And if you die separated from him, you remain separated from him eternally. That's the message of Jesus. That's the one who was gonna cause this falling and rising of many, the sign to be opposed, to be spoken against. That's what people don't wanna hear. Now the problem is I can never make myself holy. I can never pay off the debt that I owe to God. And that puts us all in a really crummy position. That puts us all in a very difficult place and it doesn't make us feel good. It makes me mad. It makes me angry. It makes me mad and it made people mad 2,000 years ago as well. And that's why Simeon said, he's gonna be a sign that will be opposed. People are gonna hear this message and be like, no, I don't, I don't wanna hear that. I don't wanna hear that my sin has separated me from the creator. And that if I die in my sin, I'll remain separated from him eternally. That just doesn't feel good. That's what Jesus said in John chapter three. He said, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Jesus said people don't want to hear this. The light, the truth, the holiness of God. And if you come into that light, what happens is your wicked deeds are exposed. The fact that you're living for yourself is exposed. The fact that you want to do things your way instead of God's way that's exposed, and people don't like that. You might go to your doctor and say to the doctor, I don't wanna hear anything negative. Just tell me I got low blood pressure and I'm good. I don't wanna hear anything bad. And the doctor might be saying, but you got cancer. You have cancer in your body. And you know what? There's a solution for that cancer. There's a way that we can combat that cancer. There's a way that we can get rid of it. There's a way we can get it out of your body. But if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to hear anything negative, then you can't take the solution. Then you can't receive the solution. And you know, there's a solution for us here too. And that's part of the promise, right? Simeon said, this child is appointed for the fall and a sign that will be opposed, but he's also appointed for the rising of many. Remember the nunc dimittis, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation, the promise of salvation. God promises us salvation through Christ. Even us who have sinned and rebelled against his holy law, done things our way. He's saying, yes, you have a problem, but there is a solution. And there will be those who respond rightly to that solution. The solution is Jesus. He is our only solution 
and our only hope. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right before God. We all need Jesus. The message of Jesus, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was born in a manger, born in that animal feeding trough, and he went on to live the perfect life. Now, he was successful in living the perfect life because he was God in the flesh. He was God who had taken on human flesh, and he lived this life successfully. And then he went all the way to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he paid off the debt that we owe God because we have broken his law. He came because he loves us. He is our salvation. He's our promise of salvation. He came, he lived the life we couldn't live. We gotta stop trying to fool ourselves. We can't live the life that God has called us to. But Jesus did. He lived the life that we couldn't live and he died on the cross to make the payment for our sins that we could never make. And he made that payment in full for every sin that we've ever done and every sin that we ever will do. He paid those off on the cross. Colossians 2.14 says, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he nailed it to the cross. A debt, a record of debt, a record of everything that we've ever done wrong and everything we ever will do wrong. A record of everything we were supposed to do and didn't do that stands against us. On the cross, Jesus took it and he nailed that to the cross, meaning he said, I will pay for that debt. And he did. That's why he's our salvation. That's why he's the only hope for all of mankind. And that is our great Christmas promise, is that a child would be born, the savior would be born, the one that Simeon recognized was the salvation, light to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. But we have to respond rightly to this promise. This promise just doesn't magically fall upon every single human soul. We have to respond right to it. That's why Jesus said in Mark 1:15, the time is fulfilled, the time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent, it just means turn around. Stop doing things your way. Now is the time. Turn around and put your trust in the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, this infant that Simeon held and embraced and clutched and said, my eyes have seen your salvation. My job is done. We gotta respond to that message with repentance, a decision to say, I'm gonna stop doing things my way, I'm gonna start doing things God's way, and I'm gonna trust in Jesus. I'm gonna trust the life that he lived and I'm gonna trust what he did on that cross. I'm gonna trust in the payment that he made for my sin. Cyber Monday, what's that? You guys know what Cyber Monday is. Last Monday, right? I had all these things in my uh, bookmarks that I was gonna shop for on Cyber Monday. And I didn't have time. I got caught up in other things. And the next thing I know, I'm getting emails. 
Cyber Monday has been extended. <laughs> it's now Cyber Tuesday. <laughs> and then it was Cyber Wednesday. And I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be cyber everything. Well, uh, the next thing you know, I looked on those items in Cyber Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was, it was over. And the discount was gone. The $179 item that was down to $129 was back up to $179. I didn't click that button in time. Live chatting, doing whatever I can, it doesn't work. I've tried. <laughs> if you miss Cyber Monday, you miss out. And you know, we can get this in our head. We can think like we've got this extended Cyber Monday, right? I know it's all true. I know what you're saying is true. Okay, I, I, I admit, I'm a sinner. That's not hard to admit. I have not lived perfectly according to God's holy standard. I got that. I understand that there's a God. Yes, I see that there's a God. Seriously, yes, it makes sense that there's a God. I see that there's no way for me to be reconciled to him apart from this savior, this amazing offer that he's made me to get right with him. But in my mind, I think, I'm just gonna wait a little bit longer. I'm just gonna put it off a little bit more. And you know, the day will come when we stand before God when we stand before his throne. And there's no chance anymore. If we die, there's no chance to get this right. And even if we cry and cry and say, I was going to, he'll say, depart from me. You did not respond to this gracious offer of salvation with repentance and faith. We can't put this off. Don't think in your head, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it at the first of the year. Or I'm gonna do it after I get married. Or I'm gonna do it after we buy a house or whatever it is. Do it today. Do it now because the offer will not always be there. And some of you might be thinking, maybe it's too late for me. I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've rejected this offer. You don't know how messed up my life is. You know what I can tell you? My life was messed up too. I lived a very dark and rebellious life. But you know what? I heard the message of salvation and God ripped the blinders off my eyes and allowed me to have enough faith to put my trust in his son and to turn from my sin. And he changed everything. And he can do the same thing for you if you're willing to do whatever he asks. That's all he says. You don't have to earn your salvation. All you gotta be willing to do is, are you willing to do what I ask? Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to say, you know what? I'll make the change. I'll follow Jesus. I'll start doing things your way. Put my trust in you. Turning from my sins. Get involved here at church. Meet some godly friends. He can help you. It's never too late as long as we're here. And as long as we're willing to do whatever he asks. And he asks some hard things of Jesus's 
Mother Mary. And the text continues, to Mary, and Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. I mean, you think about this. I made up this fake baby shower card. Can you imagine this being the greeting on the baby shower card? Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Oh, and by the way, mom, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. These were some difficult words. A sword, this word here, the Greek word for sword, this is a big sword. It's a sword so big, I probably couldn't even lift it, let alone wield it over my head. A large two-edged sword. It's a sword that's bigger than the usual sword that's used in the scriptures. This is gonna pierce your soul. Mary, the sword is gonna pierce your soul. A promise is that the child would bring pain to his mother. Mary was there when her son was crucified. She stood by the cross. Can you imagine? And my kids are grown now, but I used to get mad when they weren't invited to birthday parties. <laughs> she saw Jesus being beat up by a Roman. She saw him being flogged. She saw him carrying his cross through the city, bloodied and beaten. She saw him hanging up on this Roman execution rack. She saw them mocking him, playing dice for his clothing. She saw him gasping for his last breath as he suffocated there on that cross. Want to talk about a sword piercing your soul? That's what God called her to do. That's what God called her to endure. And there was great good that came from all of it. But she was there through it all. A sword will pierce through your own soul. What if God has difficulty for us? What if following him means that we might encounter a little bit of pain and hardship? We might have to say no to certain people or certain places or certain things, we might even have to say no to ourselves. Are we willing? Are we willing? Do we want to be saved? Do we want to be reconciled to God? Are we willing to ask to do as he asks? He is the one who reveals hearts. He knows your heart and he knows my heart too. And maybe everybody at your table thinks you're a Christian, but you know in your heart, you're not. You haven't really come to that place of saying, you know what, I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus. I'm gonna lay down my life and I'm gonna follow after him. He is the revealer of hearts. And if he is speaking to your heart right now through his word and through his Holy Spirit, don't put it off. Don't put it off because the scripture promised us that not only would he be our salvation, but he would also be this source of great controversy and great difficulty as well. What side are we going to choose? 
This choice will matter for eternity. Are we going to take whatever is easy and comfortable and just go on living business as usual? Or are we going to say, you know what, even if it's more difficult, I'm going to take the road that leads to eternal life. Promises from God in an ancient text, promises of difficulty, promises of controversy, but above all, a promise of salvation, a promise of you being washed of all your sins, having a brand new start, being right with God, being able to lay your head down on your pillow at night, knowing that if anything were to happen to you, you would spend eternity in his presence because of that baby that Simeon cradled in his arms. Let me pray for you real quick. God, thank you so much for each and every woman that you've drawn here today, Lord. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, please help us, God. Help us all to be willing to stand on the right side of this uh, controversy, that we would be willing to stand with Jesus. God, no matter what the world around us says, no matter even what uh, our inward desires might say, God, send your spirit to give us the courage and the strength that we need to say yes to your son. May we fully place our trust in him and turn from our sin. God, may today be a day of salvation. May this Christmas May this month, December 2019, be the very first Christmas that many of us truly rejoice in the real promise of salvation. We thank you so much for your word and we thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.